Hello, my name is Andrew Gomison, and I would like to welcome you to this week's edition of the Speaking for Him podcast. It is my prayer that wherever you are on your Christian journey, there will be something here that will be an encouragement to you. As we close in on our 10th anniversary, I am so excited to be able to share with you our clip later today from the Speaking for Him scrapbook. One of my favorite things about the podcast is being able to interview other people and allow them a platform to share their stories. I was not disappointed when I had the opportunity to interview Wally, who is a nationally syndicated morning host out of the Nashville, Tennessee area. Wally is funny, but he's also a very sincere guy who is trying to also encourage people on the Christian journey with his unique blend of comedy and serious content. So I would definitely encourage you to check out this interview. I think you'll enjoy the clip that I have to share with you later. Today's topic for the podcast is continuing on in our unique aspects of Christianity series, and we're talking about hope. Now, hope is a word that gets bandied about, uh, but once again, we need to take the opportunity to look at the biblical aspects of hope and how it is unique to the Christian experience. And I'm excited to jump into that with you. But before we do that, let's talk about what is going on. Well, the first story that I want to share with you has to do with California's recent decision to declare that they will not be allowing gasoline-powered cars to be built in their state after 2035. Now, that seems like a long way off, but we all know that time flies, so that seems like an ambitious thing, to say the least. Washington, Massachusetts, Oregon, and New York, all following California's lead in pushing to ban gas and diesel cars. But Governor Glenn Youngkin says he's hard at work to keep Virginia off that list, saying, quote, California's out-of-touch laws have no place in our commonwealth. Virginia Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears joins us now. Lieutenant Governor, great to have you on the program. What are you and Governor Youngkin doing to put a stop to this in Virginia? We're going to try, first of all, good morning. It's good morning. so early, but we're <laughs> going to try and repeal this law, uh, because we have to. We didn't get any opportunity to have any say in what California is doing. You know, they've decided just last Thursday that by 2035, there will be no gas-powered vehicles sold in California. Well, that's all right, and that's good for them, except that we had the previous Democrat legislature and governor hitch us to whatever California does. So if California wants to jump off a cliff, as my mother would say, you're going to do that, too. Apparently, we are. But here's the kicker. Again, by 2026, one-third of all vehicles sold in California must be zero emissions. Otherwise, the automakers will have a $20,000 fine. So guess what? That's going to happen right here in Virginia as well, because we said ditto. Well, if that's how we're going to pass laws in Virginia, where whatever California does, that's what we do, then why do we have legislatures? Why do we have a governor? So we're going to get rid of this thing, and we hope that we can get at least a few sensible Democrat legislators to say, not here, not in Virginia. You know, here's the other thing. I mean, it just keeps getting worse. We also have an administrative act where Virginians get to comment on any new regulations. We didn't get to have any say in what California just did Thursday. But you know who did? The folks in California had that opportunity. So if this is democracy, as they like to say, then... I don't know what we're doing here. Right. And you already have the support of the Republican held house. But, you know, the average price to buy an electric vehicle is over sixty six thousand dollars. That's almost twenty thousand dollars more than the average price for a car that just takes gasoline. So where do they think and have they thought about where the American public is going to get this money to buy those electric cars? 
No, they have not thought this through. And, and listen, if you want an electric vehicle, that's fine. Republicans own them as well as Democrats and independents and everybody else, if they can afford them. But we can't. Um, there is the issue of the batteries, where the batteries are almost half of the price, it seems. And yet here we are screaming about a regular battery that costs $200, and we're thinking, what? You know, the issue about making these batteries is a problem because, you know, the lithium that's needed for them, guess where they're coming from? Afghanistan. Huh. Afghanistan keeps biting us. And China has access to all that, that marine blood and other services were spilled in Afghanistan when the president forced us to retreat unceremoniously. I mean, it, we don't even make the batteries yeah. here. China makes them. It, so it's so China just shame. keeps benefiting. First of all, I could not believe this when I heard Winsome Sears say, as California goes, so goes Virginia by law and statute. So I actually looked this up to see that it was true. And it is true that the previous administration in Virginia decided to hitch themselves to California and say, as California emission standards go, so does Virginia, which to me is bizarre. Because why would you decide that? Why wouldn't you say as a state, hey, we can take the lead in emissions ourselves? We can have our own emissions initiatives ourselves. Why do you have to hit yourself to California? That's the first thing. The second thing is dealing with the practicality of the electric car. I mean, come on, people. The reality is that all through uh, 2020 and 2021, especially during the summer, I heard about brownouts in California, and I literally heard the governor tell people not to charge their electric cars. If that's the position that California holds, how in the world are they going to sustain a state where you don't have anything but electric cars? If you're not going to produce anything but electric cars, does that mean that you are not going to allow tourists in your state? I was talking to my dad recently, and he was saying that I already don't, really want to go to California, but they just keep giving me more reasons not to want to. And this is so true. If you're on a road trip and one route that you have for your road trip is to go through part of California, you're going to avoid that because they are taking this no holds barred total annihilation of gasoline power vehicles for the purpose of the environment not even taking into consideration the environmental impact of the parts that are needed to make an electric car. And then there's the practical considerations, like the fact that electric cars are still $20,000 more than gasoline cars, or the fact, like for me as a disabled American, I have not yet seen a fully electric accessible car that would work for me. And if the gasoline powered cars are often in the 60 to $80,000 range for someone like me, how much is an electric vehicle going to cost a hundred, 120? Who knows? All I know is this is just another instance of craziness coming out of California. And like Winsome said, if you want an electric vehicle, more power to you. If you enjoy your electric vehicle, this isn't meant to criticize you. It's just meant to say that we need to think practically when we're thinking about policies for our states. And I really think the states need to stand alone and be able to do things as a state. And hitching yourself to another state and saying whatever they do, we will do is just lazy. My next story comes from a Washington Post article that, surprise, surprise, was inaccurate. She's executive director of the Rebecca Project for Justice. Lane thanks so much for taking the time to come on this show. So um, I'll just be totally direct with you. Are you, as the Washington Post says, 
a supporter of abortion and of Roe v. Wade? I am a pro-lifer and I am against abortions. I have been all my life. I have been fighting eugenics and abortion and Planned Parenthood since I was 19 years of age, 1971. I am 68 years of age now, and I have never in my life been for abortion. How could the Washington Post put you with a picture? We have it on our screen. I don't know if you can see it. Put you in a story as a pro-abortion activist when you run an organization that opposes abortion. How could that have happened? Do you know? Well, I, I, the only thing I can say is that they were trying to win some pointers. You know, I don't know how they did it, but it was a lie. And I, again, I have never been you know, for abortion. I, I'm the I'm the person that have always been educating black women about having abortions and going to Planned Parenthood and having them lynching their wombs and their bodies. I am the yes. one that have been educating black women about killing their babies and having their babies lynched in their wombs. So I don't know how a Washington Post could have written that article because it was false. It's not true. I I am a pro-lifer. I will always be a pro-lifer. I would never, ever uh, uh, stand for killing of innocent children, innocent babies. I would never, ever do that. That's against my policies because, number one, when they sterilized me the same day, when that I had my son, they lynched my womb. And I had to live with that all of my life. So why would I be on their side? They killed all, aborted every single baby that I could have had during, at, one, at one time. I just had a baby and while they had my cesarean birth and while they had me uh, open, they had gutted me open like I was a hog and while they had it me, had me gutted open, they sterilized me at the same time. It's horrifying. And that was the eugenics board, which of course was created with the help of Planned Parenthood, which the Washington Post supports. Have, have you um, asked the, the Washington Post to correct this lie that they printed about you? Well, I did ask them to uh, retract the lie that they printed about me. They did retract some of it, and I also wrote them a letter and asked them to print the letter that I had written, and they have not printed that letter yet. It's, it's really an amazing story. I appreciate your coming on tonight. Thank you very much. Elaine Riddick. You're very welcome, and thank you for having me. This story made me very emotional. As you know, I am a staunch pro-life advocate and I will always stand for life. I've said before that there are some things where I can agree to disagree, but not on matters of life and death like this. And I want you to consider for a moment the story of Elaine Riddick, who we just heard from. Not only was she raped, but then when she had her baby by Caesarean section, she was forcibly sterilized. And as Tucker Carlson says in this clip, it was a part of a eugenics program from Planned Parenthood back in the 60s where they would sterilize particularly black women so they would not have any more children. Regardless of how you feel on the issue of abortion, we need to be honest about the origins of Planned Parenthood. We need to be honest that there are places in New York specifically where there are more black abortions than there are black births. A while back during the craze that was 2020 into 2021, we had a lot of statues being removed. But removing Margaret Sanger's statue from a Planned Parenthood campus does not change what Planned Parenthood does. And I truly believe that Planned Parenthood hasn't had a true reckoning with their origins yet. We need to be honest about that. We need to realize that there are people like Elaine Riddick who have never been pro-choice, never been for abortion, but are used as pawns in this battle. 
and it is sad, and it is wrong. Elaine Reddick used these terms. They lynched my womb. When she got married at 19, she wanted to have more children with her husband and found out she couldn't because she had been forcibly sterilized. And she spent the better part of her life fighting for the pro-life cause, but was again used as a pawn by the Washington Post, implying that she was a pro-choice advocate who feared that the end of Roe would cause forced sterilizations. Which, the irony of this is that the forced sterilization eugenics board came out of Planned Parenthood, this pro-choice bastion of women's rights. And yet, they think that the pro-life side, who is supposedly denying women's rights, is going to choose to advocate for forced sterilizations. Makes no sense, but it is the way that people think, and it is where we are, and we need to be aware of that so that we can fight against these lies. And we need to fight against lies with truth. Jesus said you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's why it's so important to talk about these specific, unique aspects of Christianity because we are dealing with a faith that gives us moral absolutes and definitive statements in a world where there are no moral absolutes or definitive statements. So it is so very important that we are biblically literate and that we are ready to fight the fight. And for those who say this isn't a fight we should fight, I point them to Proverbs where it says, plead the cause of the poor and needy. We need to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Before I move on to the main segment of today's show, I just wanted to say a word or two about the Biden loan forgiveness that is that is beginning. And I want to be sensitive and say that I respect and understand why those who may be struggling with their student loans would be gratified that this is happening. The standard amount is $10,000. If you have a Pell Grant and loans, you can get up to $20,000. And just speaking about that, it makes all the sense in the world. But the money has to come from somewhere. That's the number one point I want to make, is the money has to come from somewhere so the taxpayers will be stuck with the bill. And not necessarily us as much as our children or our children's children. So we need to be aware of that. The second thing I would say about this is that it hasn't followed any uh, procedure. We have checks and balances in our government for this purpose. So the fact that the president can just make a declaration that this is okay does not make it legal. We need to go through a process. If you want to go to the legislature and say the legislature should consider a certain form of loan forgiveness, then maybe that would be at least plausible and semi-acceptable. But this does not go through the process. This is just the president saying, I have the authority to do this, when in fact he does not have the unilateral authority to do this. He's still resting on a COVID emergency that does not exist. Does COVID still exist? Yes. But COVID's going to be with us for the duration, folks. And if every time we want to do something, or every time our leaders want to do something, they rest on a COVID emergency as the way to do it, the COVID emergency is going to last for our lifetime. So we need to get over this idea that we're still in a COVID emergency. Again, I'm not saying don't be careful. I'm not saying COVID doesn't exist. I'm not saying that you should not watch out for your health. I'm saying that they are milking this for all it's worth. And we need to be willing to realize that and not allow this to happen. The final thing I want to say on on the college loan forgiveness thing is I've always felt like a certain measure of college loan forgiveness would be nice as long as they tied it to like volunteer work. If somebody said, if you want to volunteer, 
in a certain aspect or get a job in a certain sector and have your loans forgiven because you did that, then that would be somewhat acceptable. I know teachers who have uh, taught in public schools or low-income schools and gotten loan forgiveness that way. That's kind of a creative way to do it. But the other aspect is that if you're going to forgive these loans and then turn around tomorrow and offer the same loans to the class of 23 and beyond, then you haven't really solved anything. You're not really forgiving anything or helping anybody if you are going to, quote-unquote, forgive these loans and then leave the spigot running. You need to turn off the spigot and then begin to think of creative ways that you can help people deal with their loans. I'm not saying don't help people. I'm saying be practical about it, and the way that we're going about this is indeed not practical. We have come to the main segment of our show today, and we are talking about the unique attribute of Christianity known as hope. And we use the word hope a lot, but there are many different ways to use the word hope. Uh, when, when we use the word hope, we're often talking about something that we're not sure about. Like we say, I hope the Lions make the playoffs, or I hope my mom makes my favorite dessert tonight. Those are not real hope because they are simply wishful thinking. But when we talk about hope in a Christian context, we're talking about something that is sure and certain. Our quote of the day comes directly out of Scripture, and it is Hebrews 11.1, Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I really like this passage because it starts out the Hall of Faith chapter in Hebrews, and the writer is telling us what faith is, and then he's going to show us the faithfulness of the saints of God who've gone before us and show how they incorporated faith into their life. And I like how this says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You've heard people in Christian circles say that you have to take things on faith, and surely you do. But one of the reasons that you can trust God to do great things in your life is because you have seen evidence of it. I can come on this podcast and give you any number of verses and give you any number of discussions about the aspect of faith, and surely that's what we are doing here today. But the greatest thing that I can tell you is that in my own life, faith has played out. In my own life, God has proven himself faithful. And if you go down the hall of faith and you see each of these people that have lived faith through these stories that are reflected by the author of Hebrews, you will find that they found God faithful to the task that they needed him for. We hear about, by faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, starting right at the very beginning of the Bible. And we hear about Moses and Joseph and any number of saints that have gone on before us but they all had faith to believe God when he gave them a command. By faith, Noah built an ark for the saving of his household. I mean, think about Noah for a second there. Think about the fact that it had never rained on the earth, and yet Noah believed God, and it says that Noah did all that God commanded him. And then we read that Peter wrote that Noah was a preacher of righteousness, so just imagine Noah's building this boat. It takes him over a hundred years to do. I don't think that just he and his three sons built it. I don't think it was a four man job. I'm pretty sure that he hired people to do it. And they were like, well, if it's good money, I will build this boat for you. 
I will help you build this boat. Even if I think you're crazy, that's what I'm going to do. And I can only imagine as they're building, Noah saying, you know, you can be saved from the flood too. Just come into the ark with us and we will keep you safe. But they rejected him. And they probably laughed at him and scorned him. And then it was just Noah, his wife, his sons, and their wives that ended up being saved. Because of their faith that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. It wasn't because of Noah's righteousness. Although the phrasing in Genesis is that Noah was blameless in his generations, it's not talking about perfection. It's talking about the fact that he was in tune with God and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's why each and every one of us are here is because we found grace, not because we are better than anyone else. So I want to encourage you as we begin this discussion that you too can find grace in the eyes of the Lord. And I hope that you will if you have not already. He loves you, he has great plans for you, and he wants to use you. But you have to surrender first. Well, as we begin this discussion, I want to just think for a moment about the different things that we have hope in. Uh, We tend to have hope in our political system, but we know that's a mess. We have hope in our job, but we know that, that that situation can change on a dime. We have hope in any number of things, but the Bible encourages us to put our hope in God. And that's where we're going to start this important discussion is with the fact that our hope is in the Lord. And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. Psalm 39, 7. If you are hoping in anything else, might I encourage you to put your hope in the Lord? The New Testament writers said, No other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid in Christ Jesus. If you are living your life on a foundation of anything else, it will fail. Jesus said the wise man builds his house upon the rock. Jesus is the rock of ages. And he is the one that we should build our life upon. The next aspect of hope is that our hope comes from the resurrection of Christ. In 1 Peter 1, 1 1-3 it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. There's a lot here. It says that we are kept by the power of God. It says that we have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for us. But why is it reserved in heaven for us? It's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that if Jesus had lived the life that he lived, died on the cross for our sins, and stayed in the tomb, we would just be like any other uh, religious order who can visit their leader in a cemetery. The power of Christianity is that we cannot visit our leader in a cemetery because he is a risen Lord. And it's because he rose that we have that inheritance. It's because he rose that we have the power of God to keep us. It's because of the resurrection that our salvation is eternal and that all the things that God has for us will be revealed at the last time. And I am very excited about that myself. Again, I trust that you will come to trust in him who alone can give you these things. Our hope gives us boldness. Remember Peter and John in Acts chapter 4. I'm just going to read for you Acts 4, 10, and 13. It says, Be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand before you whole. We're talking about a lame man, who the text tells us had been lame for 
40 years since birth. So Dr. Luke, in his detailed way, is saying there's no way you can claim that Peter and John were charlatans. This man was truly lame, and the people who knew him knew that, and now he is not. And then verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Now I find it kind of interesting that they call Peter and John here unlearned and ignorant, or that that was their perception of them, when in fact they were the ones who were unlearned and ignorant because they refused to see Christ when he was standing in front of them before his death and resurrection. But you see, the hope that Peter and John had in Christ gave them boldness. They were there when the angels told them, Why stand ye gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, who has went up into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go. And so I'm sure this is on Peter's mind as he is sharing this. And his hope in Christ gave him boldness. Our hope in Christ gives us purpose in suffering. This is a big one because there are some people in the Christian church who will tell you that Jesus does not want you to suffer. And on one level, it's true. I don't think God wants any of us to suffer. But the reality is that in this fallen world in which we live, God uses suffering to refine us and to make us into what we should be. He says that one of the goals of the Christian life is to conform us to the image of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And he does that through suffering. Second Corinthians twelve seven to 10 says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am made strong. And again, that's 2 Corinthians twelve seven to 10 I think it's important to note a couple key things here. First of all, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. He had something that was a struggle for him. I believe it was a physical struggle. Um, there's one epistle where he talks about writing letters in his own hand and that they were big letters. So a plausible explanation of this thorn in the flesh is that at some point he started to struggle with his eyesight. And whatever the thorn in the flesh was, he asked God to remove it three times. But God said no. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you. So I think that sometimes we get into this mode that if if we are faithful enough that God will remove our thorn in the flesh, whatever it may be. And there are even some denominations who will say, God, we command you to take this away. The Bible says that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us and he will give us what we desire. But the phrase according to his will is important because folks, the reality is that God's will is what we would choose if we had all the facts and we don't have all the facts. We only know what we're going through at the particular moment. So I think that's so important for us to have a realization of. The other thing I wanted to mention is that we have a situation 
where Paul says here, most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities. Paul doesn't say, will I despise my infirmities. Paul doesn't say, will I seek to remove my infirmities. He says, I'm going to glory in them. So these two aspects are so important about the hope that God gives us. First of all, we can believe that God's grace is sufficient for us. And second of all, we can glory in our infirmities. Why? Well, the end of this passage is that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And then we can uh, take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Why? Because it's Christ who makes us strong. Philippians says, It is God who worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So as we continue on, you can see there's a great deal of difference between the world's definition of hope and the biblical definition of hope. The biblical definition of hope is a sure and sturdy foundation for life. The worldly definition of hope, as we discussed earlier, is wishful thinking. Our hope gives us confidence for the future. Our hope in Christ gives us confidence for the future. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice this. After you read all of these things, we have this therefore. And it says, because of the things that I just read, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for so much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Isn't it wonderful to know that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, whatever suffering that you go through is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. I am so excited to be able to share with you the fact that God is faithful and that he will not leave us without hope. We were without hope and without strength when Christ died for us. In Romans chapter 5, it says, When we were yet without strength, Christ died for us. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't die for us because we were almost worthy. Christ died for us because we needed him because we were not worthy. And that's an important distinction. So to review these five aspects of hope from a biblical perspective, we find that our hope is in the Lord. If your hope is in anything else but Jesus Christ, you need to realign your hope. And even within Christianity, per se, you can put your hope in things other than Jesus Christ. You can put your hope in good works. You can put your hope in church attendance. But the only thing that really gives hope is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That leads into the review of our second point, and that is our hope comes from the resurrection of Christ. Paul said, if Christ be not raised, we would be of all men most miserable. But now is Christ raised from the dead? Because Jesus lives, so will I. And that is exciting. Because of the resurrection, I will get my incorruptible body. 
I will get a perfect body. I will get a body that doesn't require a wheelchair because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then we had our hope gives us boldness. Why do I come to you each week on the podcast to share the truth of scripture? Because I have seen it played out over and over in my life. And because I stake my very life on the truth of scripture, because I have seen the testimonies of the saints of the Bible and saints through history who stood on the truth of scripture and who God rewarded for it. And I know that a God who has kept his promise to these people through history can keep his promises to myself and to you. Our hope gives us purpose in suffering. Uh, Our hope in Christ makes suffering worthwhile. I have dealt with suffering in one way or another my entire life. I have watched people accomplish things that I thought I should have been able to accomplish. I had to watch my brother get a driver's license. All of my siblings get driver's licenses when I was unable to. I've watched my siblings achieve success in their careers that I have yet to climb to uh, because they didn't have the obstacles of disability that I have had. I have suffered pain at least to a certain degree every single day of my life due to my spastic tight body that is produced by cerebral palsy. And yet I can say that God has given me purpose. He's given me this thorn in the flesh to glorify him through it. You know, some people may marvel that I am able to serve him and testify for him in spite of my disability. But I go a little further and I say it's because of my disability that I have the ability and the platform that I do. And so I would not want it done a different way. Now, if you had asked me this, you know, 20 years ago or more, I might've given you a different answer, but that is the answer that I have come to through this journey of traveling side by side hand in hand with the best of masters, Jesus Christ. And then our hope gives us confidence for the future. Why do I have hope when I get up every day in this hopeless world? Because I know that this world isn't all there is. I know that what is coming next is even better. Paul said the things that are seen are temporal and the things that are not seen are eternal. Paul said that eye has not seen nor has ear heard nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. So if I could encourage you that the trial that you are experiencing is in the grand scope of time, temporary, and that God has a plan. You may not know that plan this side of heaven, but be assured that he does. And he is in control. You are not escaping his view and his concern. So I hope that these thoughts have been an encouragement to you as you have been listening. And I I hope that this blesses you. Please continue to share these episodes with others if you feel that they would be benefited by them. And that's how the word gets out about speaking for him. And that's how we can make the next 10 years even better than the previous. So continue to pray for us as we continue to come up with great content for you. As I said, our 10th anniversary special will be upon us in just a few short weeks. So I'm really excited to share with you clips from our past. I've really enjoyed digging into these and I hope that you enjoy them as well. The clip that I have to share with you today is, as I said earlier, from Wally of the Wally show. And he really started out in a humorous way, but we also had a serious discussion about how important it is to have good people support you 
and aid in your success. What number of podcasts is this for you? Uh, this will be podcast number 149, I believe. In well, the that's exciting. I, I generally don't throw out the numbers because little known secret, because podcasting isn't live, I usually record way ahead. And mm-hmm. so sometimes I do some switchamaroos. Yeah. So I try not to uh, give myself away too much, but occasionally that happens. Yeah. Because um, I'm thinking, like, I want to be 150. Like, that would have been really awesome to be podcast 150. And, you know, under, uh, you know, a few months ago, I might, or a few weeks ago, I might have told, I might have made the switch, but I, I've decided to do some very special things. Oh, uh, well, more special than this. Well, not necessarily. Well, this more is not special, going well. <laughs> but, but related to the people that have helped me throughout the 150 episodes. It's just, oh, cool. It's exciting to, have actually put together content for that many straight Fridays and uh, just really want people, uh, you know, I'm just excited to have people going to the website or iTunes or Stitcher to, to uh, hear more of the podcast and to let their friends know about it so that uh, we can get more people to know about it. And it's really neat to, uh, to be able to uh, interview somebody that's at the very least well known. I know you like to say that you're not that big of a deal, and <laughs> actually, that's actually one of the things that I like about you because you are a very real person. And from interacting with you live, I can really tell, um, even though I already suspected it, that uh, who you are behind the mic is the same person you are when you're not behind the mic, which is refreshing. I appreciate so, that. So thank you for that. Because that's something that I've honestly tried, like, to do. Like, I always, I always, one of the things that I learned early on, like, in doing this job, was that everyone treats the artist, like, the celebrity great, but then all the people around them, the guys in the band, or the, the, you know, the record people, or the roadies, they never treated them as well, and so I consciously made a decision. I'm like, I'm gonna treat everyone around the artist with the same respect that I treat that artist, and because they, they deserve it, you know? They are working hard to make that thing happen, too, and so I try to be, that guy, that same guy on the air and off the air, you know, with people, you know, as much as you can. And as much as you rib the people that you work with oh, on yeah. the show, I know that it comes from a place of great respect for one another. And uh, I think it would really be a fun show to work on, you know. Yeah, these guys that I work with, like, I, honestly, I, 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 the thing is, my name's on the show, okay? Which, by the way, for the record, I did not name the show. I was forced to have the name The Wally Show. I wanted something else weirder or more bizarre. And they were, when we, when we built the show, they're like, no, you need to be The Wally Show. But, you change one of the people in our mix and the show is different and the show is what it is and it's gotten like successful which is cool but it is what it is because of all the people that touch it and that's you know obviously Zach and uh, Betty Rock and Becca it's it's because of them that the show works and they each have their own skill set and they do it very well and sometimes like like Betty is you know her skill set is humor and and just that heart inside of the show uh Becca her skill set is kind of not letting me get away with too much and kind of keeping me in check you know in a fun way but then also when, when she does news like to deliver that and do a, a good job with that and to be funny and then Zach's job is to be that voice of reason and sometimes protect me from myself and the things that I want to do or the angles I want to go he's really good at going well let's rethink this maybe this isn't the best he's a real tactician you know and stuff and so i respect them all for different reasons they're all kind of like my kids well that that's great and it really does take a a a wide variety of people to uh be successful the very fact that i'm able to be sitting here in franklin uh talking to you is because i have my brother uh, who is willing to take time off from a job to be, be here and my friend bob who's uh uh, traveling with us as well. I just really like that clip because it underscored what I have said many times on this show is that the reason for the success of this show is because of the people that have poured into it. Whether you were a guest on the show, whether you have prayed for the show, whether you have donated to help cover costs on this show, I definitely consider True Life Bible Church, an unofficial sponsor of the Speaking for Him podcast because they became a monthly donor to me. And then you have people like Holland Gospel Chapel who have given very generously to me as well and others. 
who have really made it possible for me to continue the work of speaking for him in general and this podcast specifically. If it was just me talking in a room and I didn't have the contributions of so many other people, this podcast would not be worth doing. It is as good as it is because I had people who have challenged me to be better and who have helped construct the broadcaster that I am. If you remember several weeks back, I had Chris and Emily Danielson on the show for the second time and they were talking about my evolution as a broadcaster. And Chris noted how I had improved. And he talked about the early days where he was tough on me, where he said, you need to do this more crisp. You need to be better on the air. You need to be able to, you know, be more succinct in, in the things that you say in the way that you say them. You need to have a command of the microphone. And it was nice to be acknowledged that that hard work does pay off and that that hard work was paying off in my particular case. But I really owe a lot to Chris and Emily Danielson as well. They're the ones that brought me in to the radio studio and showed me that I still had a passion for broadcasting. So a shout out to them. I'm sure I will be shouting them out again in six weeks as we celebrate 10 years. But I just wanted to share that with you and to reiterate once again that this journey that we go on as Christians is not a solitary one, but is one that we are intended to partake of together. And so I hope this has been an encouragement to you today. I hope that you have a great week and that as always, you keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 